All right, you polymarchus purveyors, it's time to dust off your starter jackets, rip off those tearaways, and blow into your game cartridges. I'm Sam Blanford. I'm Pat Sellers. And I'm Sean Kelly. And we wish it was the 90s. And we're back. It's been a long time between drinks. But we've finally decided to have a have a bit of a run at season five of X Men X Men the Animated Series. And before we express our deepest and sincerest thoughts on the final season of this amazing, confusing and elongated series, I'd like you to give us a little like or a follow on the socials at WIWT90S. Perhaps Perhaps a five-star review, even before you've listened to this episode. I can promise you it's going to be brilliant to get the five stars in now. You know, if it disappoints you at the end, send us send us an email to let us know. Um, but don't change your rating. Uh, so, season five, it's hang 10 on, Hang on, hang on. We're not doing this week on at the moment. Because... <laughs> This week in 1992, Intermagneto, 27th oh. of November, came out. I thought that's what we were doing today. It was a great episode. It's, it reminds me of a better time. <laughs> oh, bring on season five. <laughs> yeah, Magneto uh, shot shows up this this uh, this few episodes, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, Magneto. And he looks fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So we've got Phalanx, Phalanx Covenant Part 1 and 2, Stormfront Part 1 and 2, and The Fifth Horseman. It's, it's interesting. It wasn't... I I thought I was going to dislike this more than I did. So that's Thanks. saying something. Um, so we'll just we'll dive in. So we've got The Phalanx Covenant Part 1. Um, so the X-Men get attacked by The Phalanx which is this weird race of techno-organic aliens um, that are looking to uh, assimilate life on Earth. And then one who looks just like them, named Warlock, Warlock, allies himself with Beast, Forge, and Mr. Sinister to come up with a plan to defeat the Phalanx. Um, Before we talk about the episode in general, should we cover off both at the same time? Because it really yeah. does roll into two. Right. So in the, the second part, um, you've got that lineup of Warlock, Beast, Forge, Sinister, um, who are also uh, pick up the assistance of Magneto, who's not interested in participating, hanging out in his excellent new base. Um, but when he learns his son Quicksilver, which he only learnt was his son an episode or two ago, has been captured by the Phalanx, he's all in. And as three fathers on this podcast, we can all relate to that. <laughs> Super relatable. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested. Uh, let's start with you, Sam. What were your thoughts? Um, I was very confused initially, um, but part two fleshed it out a little bit more. <laughs> I laughed when you were do- doing your run through because in my notes I put, Bishop looks weird. It's definitely not Bishop, was it? It was Forge. Oh, Forge, yeah, 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 that was Forge. I thought you would have been reveling because it was Forge. It, it, but, but it didn't look like the Forge that I knew. Future Forge. 
his moustache kept disappearing. <laughs> the animation. The animation didn't, didn't help. The animation only gets worse. <laughs> maybe, maybe the fact that I was expecting Bishop was probably the, 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 uh, the problem. That's their um, first interaction with Forge since that X Factor episode with the Iceman. Yeah. In this timeline. Was that season four? Pass. Um, I got heaps of um, great moments, but overall, I, IMDb gave these, um, these episodes a good rating. Pat, I'll hope you know. Um, no, I didn't know that. That's a great factoid. <laughs> Like a very high rating, and I and I actually think I like the the other three episodes better. Um, there's a definite common theme. What are those? What, uh, they look like hieroglyphics or symbols. You know, Beast has a boner over them. The what they look like and like the phalanx. Is that what you call them? Phalanx. The phalanx. Yeah. Like what they turn them into or assimilate to. Yeah, they kind of look like a. I don't know, some sort of. I'll give a. Really awful um, synopsis of the phalanx and what they're up to in a minute. But yeah, what about you, Pat? What were your thoughts? Uh, I like this episode. I liked all the episodes we're covering, actually. Um, Warlock sort of starts out as hard work. Uh, as <laughs> There's a lot of Jar Jar things about him. My uh, self pod mates uh, would be aware of. <laughs> He takes a little getting used to. Um, are you gonna are you gonna do a rundown a summary of the whole whole series, or we'll go straight into pulling out some quotes? Just I'll give I'll give a little background on the phalanx. So, Warlock's part of a race called the Technarchy, who were assimilated by the phalanx. The phalanx are cybernetic aliens that basically assimilate worlds and people to become part of like a hive mind that sort of classic uh aliens yes starship starship troopers (laughs) is that what it's called storm storm whatever that one um they they debuted in the early 90s um and this that was kind of a i've recently come back into x-men comics in a big way with lots of like Lots of possible futures where they take over, um, but yeah, the cr- the crux of it is you become part of a hive mind, and you know, it's. I was it's like, what... how are they possibly going to beat this thing? Obviously, I knew they were going to, but um, it's looking it's very trope, isn't it? Yeah, with a sciencey thing. Yeah, it's like oh, there's a technology's taking over. New technology, create a virus. Pretty much every. Every movie where that happens, isn't it? Doesn't that happen? Mm. Ovids. Um, to the irony of Prof's well, thinking. Yeah. Um, it was good to see Sabretooth back at the beginning as well. Mm. We got a lot early on. We got Sabretooth coming back, back, him doing some funny stuff like holding those two cops in the air while they kicked. Um, the cop that and had then Meg's straight voice. away smell powers. We got smell, smell powers real early on when Meg it, called out that it wasn't really Sabretooth. There's a couple of really good uh, incidents of smell powers across these episodes. Um, mm. I quite liked seeing Sabretooth again. Yeah, he's good. You want to pick up the uh, Hank McCoy listening to some smooth jazz on his headphones, relaxing? 
There's heaps of beast in these episodes, like from having yeah. very little beast in the last few seasons. Um, and I've got to say, I didn't like it. <laughs> You've really gone off beast. Well, I only liked him in the first like three episodes that we did. He um, seems he, he he's good. He's good in parts. The more he has to play in an episode, the less yeah. uh, attractive his appearance has become, I think. I, could probably I, think. I, could. I thought it was probably the best we've seen him physically, like when he escapes the mansion, because he generally seems to be sort of the, the weakest when it comes to the crunch, but um, mm. he was quite good getting away there. Really quite showed off his aerobic skills. Hmm. There was a distinct lack of Scott and Jean, which I was appreciating. <laughs> the one time Scott shows up, he gets everything wrong. Like, <laughs> it's like the one time Sinister's a good guy, so Sinister like saves him from that sack, and he's like, I should have known you'd be behind this. And I was like, he's on the right side, Scott. Yeah, the only time we see Scott, he's wrong as usual. I love that. <laughs> the best part of the entire two parts was uh, Xavier, a.k.a. Nadia Comaneci. Do you remember him doing that, uh, doing those uh, things on the, like, the uneven oh, yeah. bars? <laughs> oh. And he, like, and he, like, flicks himself up and then just, like, lands perfectly in his floaty chair? Yeah, that was, I, I quite enjoyed that, that whole gym session. I'm going to call him Nadia from now on. Um, a few other things that were oh, going Chuck. on at that point that I, uh, I, I don't know, like Professor trying to help Sabretooth again, just like, come on, come on, you know, we've been down this path. Yeah. Um, but also just when like, so yeah, the profs in the gym, someone else is in there with him, I think. And you get a bit of a shot of like the various X-Men doing things and they're all kind of doing interesting things and Gambit's just out practicing his basketball. That's the only thing we see. Is that the only Yeah, is that the Oh, and you get to see him like in the phalanx. Without his jacket. Don't even remember seeing him there. Something I was confused about. So when Sinister first contacts Chuck slash Nadia he's like got he's having like a FaceTime with him it seems like he likes him who seems very worried about him professor 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 (laughs) I think he's just panicking Mm, I was confused Mm. oh yeah mutual respect between great minds or something well, as someone says at the end, I think probably Beast at the end, he says, you know, all of Sinister's actions were all of self-preservation. Mm. You know, he's, everything he's doing was just he was worried about himself, wasn't he? Um, in saying all of that, I reveled in Sinister's inclusion in these episodes. It was good to have him and, like, have him part of the story but not just be a villain, you know? Yeah. And I, I genuinely enjoyed the, the team up lineup. I was hoping for a little bit more Quicksilver, but I enjoyed having lots of Forge, lots of Sinister, uh, not so much Beast. Um, <laughs> Is Jubilee the other one? 
Jubilee's in it for a bit, but she gets does she get captured as well? I can't remember. She's in a, she's in the next one quite a lot. Yeah, she's in the next three. Um it's like that big supposed to be a main character. Magneto's beard. Thoughts? Beard and mullet? Yeah, exceptional. Mm. Magneto, I've got him as Magneto 3.0. Um, <laughs> he's still badass. Because, you know, we had the original Magneto who always had his helmet on. Mm. Um, and, I, and then we had Magneto 2.0. And I'm calling this Magneto 3.0. It's a bit like Michael Jordan when he played for the Wizards, MJ 3.0. Um, he's oh, a little yeah. bit older, a little bit more grizzled. Um, but shit, he can still drop 50. Yeah, I was about to say, good for a, good for, good for a big haul. <laughs> um, something else I really liked, it popped into my um, head before that, Oh, when they go to get Magneto to join the team and he's like kind of in his uniform and then he decides he'll join them and he just sort of magnetically puts the rest of his costume on. I thought that was mint. Um, some things that were silly. Like, so this is, we've seen Hodge before, right? He had something to do with Genosha maybe. Um, who's Hodge? Was it, wasn't he's he the guy of, who's like, like been there. Yeah, he's like being like half assimilated by the phalanx. He's he he's the, the one who like tells everyone his plan. Because he's an idiot. And it's just like his, <laughs> the front of his face, eh? That's all you yeah. can see. Yeah. And then he Which is that's from him. that's from the comics. He was was part of his he was part of whatever the storyline was in the nineties, early nineties. Um Yeah. <laughs> Pat referred to it before. I think you did, Pat. When you said something about Warlock and referring to himself as self. Mm. What's all that about? What what person, what is that third person? I thought about this a lot. Fourth person um, perspective? Yeah, yeah, because him and his uh, and his missus, which, you know, they, they get reunited, so that's lovely. But um, they both do it, and I'm wondering if it's like a, a bit of a, a translation from their language to English. Mm. Mm. Uh, um, Warlock's an interesting character so he's joins the new mutants in the 80s um, well before this arc happens and he becomes besties with a character called Doug Ramsey who has the power to basically can communicate with technology so he can understand anything that's going on in a machine and or whatever, and sort of translate it. So not super useful fighty powers, but, um, and then he gets, something happens to Doug and Warlock uses his like abilities to keep him going. And he's like, like Warlock's almost like part of him, but can like pop out and talk. It's very weird. Um, very eighties. You said new mutants. Yeah. Uh, is there a movie New Mutants? There is. Is he and in it? Apparently, he was originally going to be one of the characters. He got taken Warlock out was. in the final script. Yeah. Yeah. It was movie went through like all sorts of rewrites and reshoots and absolute dud. Yeah, I'm guessing <laughs> like they thought you know him referring to himself to self and keep killing, calling everyone self friend was going to be. 
a hard I sell, th- but I mean, it, they couldn't have made the movie any worse. They might as well God, it's bad. taken a swing. Um, I when I was watching Warlock in this, and I've so I've read him quite a lot. I was thinking it is like when you read it, you just kind of read it. You don't think about it too much. Like it's a bit annoying, but it's it's not. It's you just get used to it quite quickly. But listening to him speak like that all the time is a bit like it's definitely that sort of Jar Jar Binks sort of. It's quite annoying. He's quite and he's quite like comical as well in a storyline that's like world ending. It just doesn't hit the right balance. Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually care much for his love story. <laughs> no, I didn't even know there was a love story going on until I saw her. Yeah. A couple of other things that I thought were quite mint is we get a lot of Beast with his backpack in these episodes. <laughs> um, little trip to Muir Island to see my guy, Banshee. Um, look, look, we're not going to see Bad Guy Bar again, are we? You can break it to me. I don't remember if we do. I know we definitely don't see it in Muir Island enough to not. We've been there enough to go back to Bad Guy Bar. We've got, still got five more episodes. It's got to be a chance. <laughs> I I can assure you they don't go to Bad Guy Bar and Jubilee, Jubilee's play story theatre of whatever that episode's called. I can't wait for you to see that. <laughs> that um, her voice. What's her name? Moira's voice was terrible. Accent was awful again. Yeah, yeah. They get a different person to play her each time. <laughs> I really like that. I reckon it's just whichever female character is part of that episode. All right, you're gonna have to do the Moira lines. <laughs> it's like a running joke with the, with the cast. Yeah. And so and someone in the writers' room should we just not let Moira speak? No, 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 no. Let's see who can do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> Raucous laughter when they do. Um, I quite like the um, the Trojan horse plan. With the big dummy runner from Warlock, slips out of Magneto's bubble and gets assimilated to release the virus. Um, and that's all I really have to say about that. I've got nothing else. I'm ready for Stormfront. Let's get to space. Santa's favourite spot. Uh, all right. We'll do these two together as well, eh? Yeah. So... The alien, I looked him up. I was like, surely they've made this character up for the show, but he's in the comics. The alien Archon. Golden Axe. <laughs> yeah. Comes to Earth with a weather manipulating machine to trick slash big storm to come to his planet to save it from meteorological chaos. Um, storm agrees, but leaves a clue and... Um, so what some of what says so it Meg, Psych, and Jubilee yes. and Beast follow her to Archon's planet, um, and um, Storms successfully fixes their their planet, and for inexplicable reasons agrees to Archon's marriage proposal. <laughs> And then episode two, some absolutely spectacular preparations going on for Storm's wedding, including a very fast um, construction of a statue. Um, and then the X-Men start to realise something's a bit off with Archon and Storm Cotton's on. Turns out he's a real bad guy. What did you guys think of Stormfront? Oh, yeah. I thought, no good from Space Conan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> he, was, he was really, oh, I quite liked him sort of uh, in the second part when uh, his, you know, his world starts sort of unveiling itself as he's, you know, basically using slave labor from another neighboring planet and him getting really confused trying to explain himself as like, this is just what we do. Like, <laughs> like yeah, no, you can't enslave people. It's like, oh, like, they tried to do it to us. <laughs> um, so that was all quite fun. Um, I also quite liked uh, Meg walking around there, what looked like sort of ancient temples and just like scratching massive like gouges out of the walls and stuff as he just like walked around. Disgruntled. No respect. Like a 12 year old with a vivid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was half expecting him to start just drawing cocks on everything. Meg was awesome in these episodes. He there's, was. I, there's one real good quote I hope you've got lined up. I also really like um, when um, the, the plane crashes and they they can't get out the door and Meg just sort of like grunts his way to break it open. He just sort of bursts through and goes <laughs> And it flies off. Yeah. What did you think? You said oh, you obviously liked it, Sam. Tell us why. Well, that's after Jubilee it, uh, was literally just going to dive out of the, sh- the flying ship uh, at, at the start. Well, that was a bit ridiculous. Um, I just ran out of, I, I couldn't write down the quotes fast enough. It was just one liner after one liner. Uh, I, I said, fuck off with your space dimensions and planets, Archon. Because I didn't realise it was in space initially until that got mentioned. Um, so was Storm hypnotised to get with Archon? Like, it seems so I think bizarre. this is just really, really bad character development. It was so <laughs> out of character. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Like, and there's that part where she's just like, my whole life I've been, you know, I joined the X-Men as a teenager and fighting for a world that doesn't, you know, that hates and fears us. And here I can make a real difference to people and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not what you're about, Storm. She also not- has no idea if that's true. She doesn't know anything about, like, the planet and stuff at that point. Literally. Evidently. I'm like, I like this is a real massive trope of comic books. Fans getting angry when their characters behave differently than what they'd expect. And I quite often def, like would defend a writer saying they're developing a character in a certain way and there's a reason for it and I'm, I'm okay with it. But this makes no sense at all. Yeah, it was just Meg being awesome was um, that saved this for me. A um, couple of great quotes. Um... Yeah, he is talking about Psych. Almost looked like old bug eye knew what he was doing. <laughs> um, I wrote that down. Playing chemistry set ain't getting us anywhere. He was very angry. Uh, very Which is what we want. Yeah, and tin cans on this planet taking dancing lessons. There were Who did he call Mudball? Because I just had... <laughs> I've got... Mudball Meg, and I can't remember who he called Mudball. <laughs> he calls the planet a Mudball, I think. I'm <laughs> um, just yeah. uh, before they get to the planet and the planes crash and they're trying to get to Storm. I really enjoy um, how all four of them jack that car but keep the driver in there. <laughs> and you just get those scenes of um, Meg driving the driver wedged in between him and Psyche, <laughs> and then Beast and Jubes in the back seat. <laughs> 
Like, are you so. sure you'll be properly compensated? And the guy says something real weird, but I can't remember what it was. It's got a real weird voice, too. Um, yeah, the first time they have a fight on the planet, um, and, and, and Meg goes, so glad we had this little heart-to-heart. And then Syke drops one of his only jokes in the series, which no one probably laughed at. And he says, well, I hope they weren't from the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that and I I kind of missed what had just happened and I was like, what is he talking about? And I was yeah, like, I'm not going back, it's one eye. Um, heaps, heaps of, um, oh my, from Beast. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe I've written this down. Um, past me would be disappointed in myself, but I really love the Logan-Scott relationship. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they um, that's progressed quite well, even though the character development's gone out the window. Um, that's progressed in a, in a. I don't know what it's like in the comics. Whether that is an ongoing, like an ongoing thing, or whether the relationship follows a kind of a timeline. Um, but yeah, I, it's not him joking about just. I don't know. They seem to bounce off each other quite well. There's uh, like a million websites do like top tens in YouTube videos, and whenever it's um, X Men relationships, whether it's or even Marvel relationships, good or bad, those two will come up in the list. So if it's bad, it'll talk about their fighting over Gene and the time that they almost killed each other and blah blah blah. And then if it's a good one, it'll talk about how they don't get on. And they have completely different ideals, but there's a mutual respect. Yeah. And there's a real good scene in, um, it's, a, it's an astonishing X-Men run written by the now disgraced Joss Whedon. Um, but, um, and there's a bunch of Sentinels on the front lawn of the mansion and the X-Men are going to stop them and, Cyclops is like, no, nah, I want these things off now. It's actually part of Cyclops's progression to being slightly more military as a leader, which is quite good. Lots of people don't like it because they're like, mm, he's supposed to be the Boy Scout, but it's actually quite good character development, in my opinion. And he just takes his visor off, so it's just like the full blast, no control, and it just knocks out about six Sentinels, and Meg just looks at him and says, Sometimes I forget why you're the leader. And then you do something like that, and I remember. <laughs> I got a feeling that uh, Jubilee's losing a bit of respect for old One Eye. Maybe it's because she's <laughs> she's always following uh, Meg, but just uh, she just only refers to him as Psych now. Is quite dismissive. I'm like, this is quite funny. She's got like, uh, <laughs> she's had enough of One Eye as well. <laughs> but the start of part two. They're all like, like they've all come around and are happy for Storm pretty much, apart from Meg. Meg's just extremely angry. Is that um, just his like his relationship with Storm within the X Men, or do you think it has something to do with his future relationship with Storm? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I, question. I yeah. noted that when everyone was starting to come around and Meg kind of storms off i can't remember what he says but he says something to the tune of 
something smells wrong about Archon or something like that. And I just written down that his smelling powers are even just sensing evil. Mm. Um, yeah, but I don't know that, if that he scene... somehow had some recollection of, I'm sure one of the episodes, um, at least Professor Xavier definitely knows about yeah. that sort of alternate future. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought the same thing. I was wondering if there was something lingering in there's a lot of there's certainly a, somehow. There's certainly a very like strong friendship there because I don't know if it's in the series, but they join the X Men at the same time. They've been on the X Men the whole time together, um, and Storm's one of the characters who has like great empathy for Meg. You know, she knows he's a loose cannon, but still, you know, I don't know, understands him quite a bit. Um. I really like the scene where everyone's like, don't do this. Um, except Psych, who's just like, you know, if this is what you want, then we've got to support you. But everyone else has got a reason. And she sort she's of always wrong. Psycho analyzes them as well. You know, like she's like, you know, Hank, you're, you, you don't see logic in my decision because you're a logical man, but you're thinking with your brain and not your heart. You know, Jubilee, you're young and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Wolverine, you, you you always suspect the worst and blah, blah, blah. It was quite a nice little uh, psychiatry session for the, for the team. Yeah. What do you like think of uh, Space Conan's helmet? I kind of I had it Space down Conan as a... Uh... And everything about him. <laughs> I had it as a bit of a cross of like a medieval war helmet and a graduation cap. <laughs> I wanted to. I noted something else that I thought was uh, quite interesting. As Beast gets uh, quite a hammering in one of the fights and a bandage job, and he's back on his feet. He's so bad at fighting. <laughs> I, uh, which uh, celebrity marriage would you liken uh, their ling to? I've got Chris Humphreys and Kim Kardashian. Maybe one of Britney Spears' men, like Federline or something like that. <laughs> I was thinking more um, Nicolas Cage and Lisa Marie Presley. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've got this quote down, Sam, and I don't want to butcher it, but um, when they uh, revealed a when they gatecrash the dinner party um, and. Um, you know, Storm's telling him to back down and Meg goes, ask your boyfriend, ask him how he recruits recruits the palace help. It ain't the want ads, baby. <laughs> there were so many good uh, oh. Meg quotes. The only other thing that I had noticed about this episode that I wrote down was... Um, Oh, two things. There's one of the fights. Meg's Meg wins by not jumping on a guy's back. He like tackles him to the ground and beats him mm. that way. And I was like, mm, fighting progression. Um, <laughs> but the other thing, at the end, Storm sitting on the roof of the mansion, a bit sad. Jubilee's like, I'm going to go up there and talk to her. And Meg's advice is, um, Storm's going to have to work through this one by herself. And I'm like, that's not good advice at all. Someone should definitely talk to her. <laughs> she needs her friends. 
Nick does Archon. like doing things on his own, though. Apart from hating Archon, I like that episode. Those episodes. Mm. Should we get on to um, The Fifth Horseman? Definitely. All right. So um, some some kids getting chased by the hounds. We'll come back to the hounds. Um, and we find out it's to be a vessel for Apocalypse. We see the return of Fabian Cortez, um, who's working for Apocalypse. Um, and coincidentally... East and Jubilee are on an archaeological trip to somewhere in South America as well. Um, and just coincidentally follow signs that direct them straight to Apocalypse's temple. Um, and Caliban, who's one of the hounds, senses them. And this is the, you know, some Jubilee. Turns out he senses two mutants, one with great power. And surprise, surprise, Jubilee's more powerful than Beast. <laughs> Yeah, I had that noted. Obviously um, has not watched the last four seasons. <laughs> well, I mean, if you had to pick one of the two, it's pretty close. It is Caliban, though, and he's got that extremely pasty exterior. And maybe he's yeah. worried about, you know, being so pasty, he could be getting sunburnt watching fireworks. A few Scotsmen. <laughs> we'll come back to Caliban. So um, they capture Jubilee and... Cortez uses mutant powers to turn Beast into probably the most um, most efficient he's been as a fighter. Um, and, you know, lots of, all sorts of, you know, the celestial stars have to align or something or other. And the whole apocalypse needing a vessel thing's from the comics. Um, the Hound's from the comics, Caliban's. Probably a surprise that this is the first time Caliban's had a major part in the story, considering he's one of the most prominent Morlocks in the comics. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Apocalypse is going to get put into Jubilee, but Beast comes in, beasting out, and saves saves Jubilee, and Caliban plays plays a part in saving it too, and they all get out, and you think that it's all all lost for Apocalypse, who's stuck in the astral plane, but it looks like he's going to take over Cortez's body, and maybe we'll see more of him, maybe not, don't, and I, I mean maybe because I don't remember. <laughs> what do you guys think? Well, I thought, um, well, straight off the bat, you got Beast looking adorable in his Indiana Jones attire. Um, but <laughs> then I instantly thought, is he an archaeologist now? Like, what is his field of sta- study? Because it just appears to be a PhD in whatever subject the story requires. <laughs> Beast plus Mayan symbols equals boner. <laughs> <laughs> they like John Lennon. Have you got like John Lennon glasses on? Yeah, that's a good look. Um, Speaking of looks, um, Jubilee's definitely looking more Chinese, which I think is a positive. But also, whenever they do a close-up, her skin goes grey. Not a good look. (laughs) Um, So I need, you mentioned it before, but I need a little, uh, I I got his name wrong in my notes. I didn't put Caliban. I said I need some Calabash background. Good. So Caliban is a Morlock from the 80s. 
um, who very simple, speaks in third person. Um, his mutant power is he can sense other mutants. Um, so he's like a living cerebro. Do we, so uh, we've seen, do we, sorry, do we see Caliban sensing other mutants in that first Morlock episode we watched? I don't think we've seen him except in the background of the first trip to Genosha where me, I know, uh, Storm and Gambit and Jubilee got captured. Oh, yeah. And I think that's supposed to explain why he's not in the Morlock tunnels. Um, so, yeah, he gets befriend, befriended, befriended in the 80s by X-Factor, which is the original five X-Men, and he's around a bit. And then during one of the Apocalypse crossovers becomes a horseman, and that's how he gets big. And this one, obviously, it's Cortez who's making him big. I was interested that they use the hounds instead of just having four horsemen again. It's because he's like, you know, he's a bit of a tear down from Apocalypse, so he can't have the power to create the four horsemen, so he gives them the hounds. Mm, but the hounds have nothing to do with Apocalypse. The hounds are from the future, as a future past storyline. Oh, right. and I don't know anything. I just thought they were for this There's this guy called, from that timeline, called Ahab, um, who is a mutant hunter. And he uses mind-controlled mutants to capture other mutants. And his mind-controlled mutants are called the Hounds. A character that you'll be familiar with, Pat, and that you won't be, Sam. Rachel Summers, Rachel Gray, as she's sometimes known, the Days of Future timeline daughter of Scott and Jean, was a Hound. Nothing. Uh, Probably the most famous Hound. So that's why I was a bit weirded out by the hounds being... I watched this and I saw the hounds and I didn't remember that Apocalypse was coming, but I'd seen the Fifth Horseman title and I was like, what's going on here? And then it's just, it's just, yeah, they're just using the names of things to create a story, I guess. But I quite like this episode. So so who has changed their appearance, Apocalypse, Apocalypse or Fabian Cortez? When they merge... Well, so Caliban doesn't always look like that, does he? So Cortez is doing that by doing his like special power up power. Uh, it's like on, uh, it's like Space Jam almost, where all the little yeah. Monster, yeah. monsters become monsters. <laughs> well, this was probably my favorite episode, heavily featuring Fabco, because he's just so whiny and just a horrendous individual. <laughs> So what state yeah. you mentioned he's in the astral plane, which is something that extremely confuses me. But what state is Apocalypse in? So his his body is gone, but his mind is trapped in the astral plane. Where we've been there before to watch the Shadow King fight. Yeah, that's right. That was so weird. That was the mm. storm episode, eh? Mm. And I think the Shadow King maybe had a second secondary episode where he was fighting Professor X and they wore those weird Astral armors. The the astral plane sounds very, very much like space, and therefore I hate it. <laughs> space for the mind. Mm. What even um, was what was the event that Fabco was waiting for? I can't remember what he kept referring to it as. He kept pointing to the sky and saying it's coming, and there was like three dots in the sky. The celestial alignment or something. Right. Were those three dots UFOs? Or what the hell were they? Because they're not like stars know. or anything. Stars, I guess. Flying saucers. 
didn't really make sense. This was that when they aligned as it opened the astral plane, I was very confused by it. Um, I thought I had heaps to say about this episode, but um, box back. Basically, no gambit like in those five episodes. Or rogue, and no rogue. Yeah, well, gambit and rogue are almost like a duo now, like at the moment, aren't mm. they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking That's at fair. looking at just doing a bit of research because um, I was figuring out how many episodes I need to watch. It's yep. such a bizarre viewing order that it came out. I know we've talked about it in the past, but like long shot was in the middle of these episodes um, when it first aired in 1996. Yeah. Such a bizarre. And so I was only season one follows a continuous narrative from episode one through to the end of the season. Um, two, two does a little bit, and then three, four, five is just a random assortment of episodes, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah, it's all over. I'm pretty sure is Phalanx Covenant part of season four in the original list. No, nah, it's season five. Still, still the first two of season five. Mm. Long shot. There's the one with um, the blue man, Nightcrawler. That was supposed to be in, well, that came out of season five initially. Um, it wasn't a bad episode that I quite like this. Caliban, yeah, I didn't um, mind it either. Caliban getting downsized was pretty funny because he still <laughs> had his giant man um, suit on. He kind of looked like the end of Big when the kid's wearing the suit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And uh, yeah. It was a great episode considering Beast and Jubilee were the um, main mutants. Mm-hmm. All right, shall I uh, run through the last five episodes that we're going to cover off? Yeah, let's do it. Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theatre. I'm so pumped for your reactions. Not to watch it, I don't want to watch it at all. <laughs> um, old Soldiers. Which you'll, I think you'll enjoy, Sam. It's a Meg flashback. Uh, Hidden Agendas, which I think you'll enjoy, Pat, because it's got Cannonball. Yes. Uh, Descent, which is, I think, another flashback, which involves uh, Sinister. Yeah. And then Graduation Day, which is the last episode ever. When's that new animated series coming out? Maybe end of this year. Uh, next year. Next year? Yeah. Mm, I need to watch a movie before then. <laughs> but when I'm watching again, what's the, what's the Days of Future Past or something? That'd be, good. That'd be a good watch because you can compare it to the episode. episodes. Or the, fir- the first X-Men movie is kind of intermagneto-esque. Um, Tony Logan's good too Yeah, Logan's real good uh, X2's quite good We've definitely um, had this conversation on a previous podcast Yeah, that'll do um, <laughs> just, just cut that one and put it in here and we can <laughs> Should we, should we uh, round things out and get out of here? Yeah sure. Mission accomplished, buddy Let's go home Meow. <laughs> I was gutted you didn't do that, Pat. <laughs>